Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Welcome. This is Masterclass Theology. We are in 2 Peter chapter 2. I am Joel, also known as Big Rev. And here we are, and we're teaching from a short but very powerful book of the Bible. And yeah, so we're, Peter is going to change gears tonight. The first chapter, he really wanted to, to comfort his readers. He wanted to remind them, you're secure and you've got this faith that he did it in the first chapter of 1 Peter too. He reminded them, reminded them of like their living hope. Like you've got this hope. That's never going to spoil. It doesn't have a shelf life. It doesn't fade. None of those things. It is a living hope. And so he's reassuring them in the first chapter of 2 Peter once again. But tonight, in our chapter tonight, he's going to bring out the big guns. Peter is going to go after these false teachers. He had been hinting at them. We kind of thought they were, there was a cult back then called the Gnostics. And the Gnostics claimed they had special knowledge. And special knowledge that allegedly came from Peter and all the apostles. Jesus gave secret stuff to Peter and all the gang. And Peter and all the gang kept that secret society going kind of thing. Special gnosis or knowledge. That's they call themselves the Gnostics or the Gnostics. And so they were coming after Peter's church. And they were... Yeah, so this idea of you have to have some special revelation. And so last week, Peter was saying, hold on, no. What you have is sufficient. You are firm and established. You can trust your faith in God. You don't need this extra stories coming out there at you. So t- tonight he's going to go after these teachers. And we're going to see... Um, yeah, you're going to look at your worksheets, you know, heresy and false teachers and oh yeah. So let's begin with the word of prayer and then let's launch in. God, we thank you for this text tonight. We just pray, oh Lord, that you're glorified and that uh, we would just be challenged and encouraged that this kind of difficult text tonight, Lord, would make sense to us and that you would apply it to our life. We just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we have the four D's of heresy. Now, for those of you who are ta- or is paying attention, you might see a fifth D in these first three verses. Oh, well. Uh, tonight's class is, is called destruction. And so last week was called effort. This one is destruction. And so, yeah, here we go. Second Peter chapter 2, 1 to 3. Here we go. But there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Ooh, that's kind of a little mic drop right there. Denying the Lord who bought you. Woo! Bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And their destruction has not been sleeping. That's big for Peter. 
There's a psalm that reminds us that our Lord doesn't sleep, it doesn't slumber. We remember in the Elijah story on Mount Carmel, remember it was the prophets of Baal versus God's prophet, Yahweh's prophet, Elijah. And who's going to bring fire? Is it going to be Baal, the lightning god, the fire god? Is he going to bring fire? Kind of like, who's going to bring the fire? Is it like a Thor kind of god? Or is it going to be our god? Who's going to bring the fire? And and the prophets of Baal were slashing themselves. And Baal, send the fire. And, and Elijah's like, well, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's using the potty. You know, maybe he's just out there. And they're just trying to get him that... And so, no, our God does not sleep nor slumber. So this is, this is huge here. Their destruction has not been sleeping. The text finishes here. The four D's of heresy, destructive. There are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Heresies are destructive. The word heresy is, is kind of like a divisive group. It is you have... A single group, and now a heresy comes in and divides. And that is one of, of Satan's number one tactics, division. He wants us divided. You can think about our culture right now. What are the things we are divided on? I guarantee it relates to COVID. I guarantee it relates to masks. I guarantee it relates, you just guess, we are divided on things. Satan loves to have Division. Division in a church is his number one way to destruct, to have destruction. And these heresies divide, and they're destructive heresies. They destroy things. And they deny things. Even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. That's just, that's just a killer phrase. The idea of it's like Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ Jesus lives in me. The life I live is not my own. That idea that Jesus bought me. Or you've been bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Paul tells the Corinthian church. You've been bought. You've ever sang the song, Since, since I have been redeemed. Redeem. You redeem coupons. It's like you're buying back. So you've been redeemed. When Jesus died on the cross for you, you've been bought back from slavery to sin, and now you are a slave to God. You've been bought off of that sin slave block, and now you belong to God. You've been redeemed. So they're denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. So destructive and denying. Heresies love to deny Jesus. Maybe they want to redefine Jesus. But they deny the Jesus that is proclaimed in the New Testament. They deny, they deny, they deny. That's what heresies do. Depraved. Heresies are led by leaders who uh, do whatever is right in their own eyes. Verse 2, many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. So truth, all of a sudden, you know, you know Satan did this in the garden, in Genesis. What's the first thing he told Eve? Did God really say that? I mean, for real? Are you sure God said that? And he got Eve on her back feet, on her, rocking back on her heels, going, well, I don't know. By the way, that was time for Adam to, to chime in and say, shut it. God did say that. In fact, God told me, and I'm now telling you. That was time for Adam to be a man and to step in there. That's why Adam gets the lion's share of the blame. Through Adam, we have all sinned. 
That was Adam's time to say, enough already. Satan wants us to be divided. Satan wants us to, to be destroyed from within. Satan wants us to, to deny God's word, to not accept or trust God's word. And these, these her, heretical leaders were living depraved lifestyles. We're going to get to that a little bit later. They've got greed. They're bringing the truth into disrepute. People aren't believing their message. It's like, what is this? I don't trust that. I don't trust, I don't trust the way this guy goes about his business. Why would I trust the stuff he's preaching? You know, we say that today. He doesn't practice what he preaches. So why would you listen to his sermon if you don't want to follow his lifestyle? Make sense? 40s of heresy. So I put in some red text here. Uh, heresies are, are always extra biblical. They will find their sources outside of the Bible. The very popular way to be outside of the Bible is to have, oh, God told me this. And God told me that. And I heard from the Lord this. No. That takes something that is very objective and makes it now subjective. We have the objective word of God, the Bible. We don't need extra biblical sources going, well, God told me this in a dream, or God told me this in a vision, or God told me this while I was doing this or that. And he talked to me. That's great. I don't know what to say to that. I don't trust it, but that's the point. It's extra biblical. I trust God's word. If it's outside of God's word, now it's now subjective. And now I have to trust you instead of just trusting God. That's a hard thing to sell. I don't want you worshiping a God that you got to go through me to get. Does that make sense? I'll flip that around. I don't want to trust a God that I got to go through you to get. Heresies are extra biblical. They downplay Christ. Oh, the Christ of the Bible. Oh, Jesus didn't really mean that. We kind of do that when we say, what would Jesus do? And then we kind of make up what we think he would do. I don't care what Jesus would do. I care what Jesus did do. You see how that went right from the subjective to the objective? That's the point. What would Jesus do? That, becomes, that could be possibly extra biblical. Thinking, oh, I don't know. What would he do with the internet? What would Jesus do with this? Gosh, that's fun to ponder. Sure, but what did Jesus do? Take it right to Scripture. They major in minors. I once heard a sermon a long time ago. It was old when I heard it a long time ago. The preacher said the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. They major in minors, heresies do. They take the most minor thing, let's say like speaking in tongues, for example. And they make that the thing. That was never meant to be the thing. Or they take baptism. And they play with baptism so it becomes the most important part of Scripture. It gets important, but it's not the thing. They major in minors. They uplift works. Heresies love to talk about your works. Works righteousness. They're very self-justifying. Heresies love to have self-justification. What's a self-justification? It's the Pharisee and the tax collector. They're both in the, in, in the temple praying. and the, 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 the tax collector says, well, have mercy on me, a sinner. He's beating his breast. And the Pharisee goes, God, you know, I, I mean, I'm not like that guy. I know I got issues. I'm paraphrasing. I got issues I know, but at least I'm better than him. That's a self-justification. That's wrong. That's not humility. So anytime you want to self-justify, you're going down a bad path. They're also anti-church. Heresies are like, you don't need the church as it is. The church as it is is broken and that there is, 
Yeah, you get get away from church, except go to their church. It almost sounds like uh, one of Job's friends. Of the making of speeches, is there no end? Now hear one more speech of mine. It's like, thanks. It's like, yeah, church is evil, and church is all, you know, apostate, and church is now corrupt. You don't need church. You see how they want to divide? Heresies want to keep you solo. They want to keep you divided. The four Ds of heresy. The fifth one, of course, is destruction. Three illustrations of the inevitable. What is the inevitable? Their destruction. Here we go. Chapter, chapter 2, 4 to 10, verse A. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, Greek is Tartarus. It's, it's kind of a, a unique way for the New Testament to talk about hell, but it's just one of the terms that works. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but to sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment... If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the, on the ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Who were the seven others? Noah's wife, Noah's three boys, and their three wives. That's six, seven, eight. Eight total. So Noah and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly... And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then, one big if-then statement. You like that? If-then. He finally gets to the then. Then, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. So three illustrations of the inevitable. The first one is sinful angels. And this is kind of odd. You will find many interpretations. A lot of people love to say, oh, it's in Isaiah chapter 12. See, Satan thought he was going to be just like God. And, and here you are, oh morning star. And, and the text is really talking about this king. And you can, can apply, you know, and we get the, 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 the Latin text talks about Lucifer, oh bright one, and Lucifer is not really a name, it's just kind of a way to describe that verse in Latin. So anyone who says, well, Satan's name is Lucifer, not really. I mean, not, not what we have in Scripture, that's just kind of a translation of a verb, that, uh, a noun that kind of is so, taken sometimes to refer to Satan, but it's really talking about a king of Babylon, okay. Did they sin? When did they sin? I don't know. The text never tells us who Peter is talking about. The text never tells us when all this happened. We don't know. The text never unveils this for us. We don't know. So what do we know? The things we don't know in Scripture, it's really tempting just to freak out and go, Oh, what am I going to do? Just rest upon what you do know. So what do we know? Well... We do know of Revelation 12.9. And Revelation 12.9 brings out, then, there, then war broke out in heaven. And Revelation 12 is an interesting chapter. We don't exactly know when Revelation 12 completely happens either. But it describes something. War breaks out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But they were not strong enough. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth 
and his angels with him. So we are not surprised in the Gospels when Satan shows up. When his minions show up and they're all trying to take shots at Jesus. But they can't. They can't lay a glove on Jesus. But we get this idea that there's some sin here in their rebellion against God. And there was a war and they were cast down. Get the same idea in Revelation 20. Where they are being cast into the lake of fire. Satan. And, and, and all those whose names are not found in the Lamb's Book of Life. They will be fully and finally punished one day. And then Matthew 8. When Jesus arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. Could you imagine that scene? That would be really, really freaking scary. Two demon-possessed dudes coming out of the tombs, out of the, out of the cemetery, coming after you, that you get off the boat, they're like, they're frothing, they're coming at That would be terrifying. Okay. They were so violent that no one could pass their way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Ah. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? So that tells us that Peter's onto something here. That he's talking about sinful angels. We don't know who, we don't know when, but we are given clues. They will be punished one day. In the very end, we know, there's an appointed time the demons are talking about, and they thought Jesus was going to have at them before that time. Like, hold on here. We know we're going to get it one day, but now? Seriously? The ancient world of Noah's day. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Now, the text never tells us that. We're never told in Genesis that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. This is extra information for us. Thank you, Peter. We were never told that, but what that does tell us is Noah was giving opportunities to his people. I'm building this ark. God's going to send a flood, turn or burn, or in this case, turn or sink or something. I, I, I'm sending something. You better get on. Noah's life, he was a man of righteousness. He, he, his life spoke. Like the St. Francis of Assisi preached the gospel of necessary used words. His life spoke righteousness. He was different. He belonged to God. And God's going to send a flood. And what are you doing building this ark? What is this thing called rain? I don't understand what a flood means. What, I don't under, what is this? Why do you need a big, huge boat that's like three football fields? Why? We don't get it. You and your two boys are, I mean, how old are you, sir? Were you building? The, my goodness. Yeah. And where my ark shirt? I, I, I was there this year. It's massive. And you're walking, you know, hither and yon up three different decks. And man, you, you get your steps in. My goodness. Three illustrations, sinful angels in the ancient world of Noah's day and Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, we don't need to say much about that. Sodom, I mean, the average person on the street, if you mentioned Sodom and Gomorrah, they'd go, oh, I know about that. They could tell you about Sodom and Gomorrah, because Sodom and Gomorrah have become larger than life. They represent all kinds of sins. They, rec they, they represent fire and brimstone, and, and that's the original fire and brimstone. It rained from the skies, fire and brimstone, and consumed the city to ash. But the point Peter's making here is God is going to take care of these angels, God took care of the ancient world in terms of if, if he didn't spare it. 
but he did spare Noah and his family. Sodom and Gomorrah, yeah, God punished them, but spared Lot. Okay, so God knows how to rescue and God knows how to hold for punishment. If this is so, verse 9, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You've got to understand, we, we discussed this in 1 Peter. These people are getting their butt whipped. They are not in the greatest part of the Roman Empire. They are following this Jesus. And they have Roman friends and neighbors that aren't fond of this. So they were being persecuted. They were going through trials. This just reminds them, Peter wants to remind them that our God is faithful. Though he is able to judge, he is also able to preserve. You who are going through it, trust in God. God is able to rescue, but God also knows how to hold on for punishment. And um, yeah, God, if God's going to have a day of judgment, God operates on his own timing and God takes care of his business. We just trust God to handle this business. And we see evil at work and we wish God would handle his business sooner, don't we? But we just trust in God. God's not asleep. God knows what he's doing. And God handles his business. He's faithful. So verse 10, this is especially true of those who follow corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Um, your desires and attitudes are noticed by God. If you are a person who kind of runs by pop psychology, you might say something like this. My feelings aren't wrong. You can't talk about my feelings. My feelings are just what they are. They're just feelings. And I have feelings. This says corrupt desires. That tells me that a desire can be wrong. Just because you have a desire doesn't mean, okay, it's just a desire and we're tempted. I'm going to follow my heart. Okay, go for it, Mother Willow to Pocahontas. Follow Disney did you wrong. Don't follow your heart. Your heart is deceitful. It leads you astray. But at the same point, don't trust your feelings. Don't just say, well, they're just feelings. The feelings aren't wrong. Wrong. They can be corrupt. The desires of your flesh. I mean, what do you think your desires are about? They're about fleshly matters. They can be corrupt. And these false teachers are living by corrupt desires. How many times do we see cult leaders get caught with harems and caught with adulteries and caught with all these things? Fleshly corrupt desires. Desires for greed. They just have upon them. I mean, my goodness, we just had that massive church in Texas. They just knocked into the wall and found a bunch of money. Uh, who knows what's going on with that? That was indeed Joel Osteen, yes. So, yes, my goodness, I'm so glad I get to share his name. Now, he's a little bit better looking than I am. I mean, he's, he's, he, he sells more books, but all right. There we go. So it, this is especially true. God's going to handle his business. Our focus is not on God judge, God judge, God judge. No, God's going to judge. God's gonna, he, God can preserve, and God, God will judge. So the question I ask you is, are you more like the ones that are rescued or the ones that are condemned? How dare you, Pastor Joel? I am in your class. Don't you know the millions of other things I could be doing right now? But I'm in your class. Just ask yourself this. Are you more, just, just reading these 10 verses here. In your heart, are there things that popped up as we read and you went, oh, oh no. Oh, no, 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 God, let's not go there. Please, God, no, 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 just skip that. 
Are you more like the ones that are rescued, i.e. Noah or Lot? No, Lot wasn't perfect, my goodness. I'm not looking for a sliding scale, like, okay, you're here and Noah's here. I'm just saying in general. You are a Christian, and the doctrine of progressive sanctification tells us the Holy Spirit is progressively making you more like Jesus and less like you. Where are you at on that? Because I bet some of these people that were condemned, ah, you got the, these fallen angels, you got the, 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 the naysayers in Noah's day, you got the Sodom and Gomorrah, we're saying, oh gosh, that's not me. But these are people who followed what, what was right in their own eyes. They followed their hearts. They trusted their own business and they, 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 they made themselves the masters of their own domain. Is that you? Do you fall into that trap? If so, pay attention. What do you know? You're a pastor. Huh? A decade of my life? I've been alive for four decades? One of those decades, I was a full-on hypocrite. A quarter of my life. My kids are in the corner with their headphones on. I'm not going to go into details, but well before their time. Just saying, I was like some of these people. Selfish, self-justifying. Oh, gosh. Yes. 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 We continue. Five characteristics of false teachers. 10b to 16. Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. I know it sounds weird. We'll get there. Don't worry. Yet even angels, though they are stronger and more powerful, don't heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. Never a good idea, by the way, when you're ignorant to die on that hill of ignorance. And they are. Um, yeah, they are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. I like that. What was Peter's main job? Remember back in the day, Peter was a fisherman. He caught and destroyed. That was his thing. He caught and then he ate or sold to be eaten. Is that catching and destroying was his whole thing. I will make you fishers of men. And the whole idea is you were once fishing for fish. Okay, here we go. Yeah, okay. Be caught and destroyed like animals, they too will perish. And they will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. Ooh, with you. Ooh, like they're part of your, your parties here. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. Ouch. They seduce the unstable. Ouch. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. When they, they have left the straight way and wandered off to, to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Ba Balaam is, he's the first guy in history to have, ever have his donkey talk to him. And he talked back to his donkey and if you recall, his donkey argued at him. And you can make an argument that his donkey out-argued him. He got out-argued by his talking donkey. And he had to kind of shut up. Like, oh, geez, you know. And then the angel shows up and is like, you know what? If your donkey didn't start talking, you know, I was going to kill you. I'd let the donkey live. But you were going to die. Okay, so there's something going on. So he mentions that here. I'm going to take the Balaam story to the next chapter of the Balaam story. I think, I think that's where Peter is going with this. But yeah, wow, 
these qualities or characteristics of false teachers. They are bold and arrogant. And they are very confident in what they do and they don't really know what they're doing. But they're going to try to fool you and I think they are. I encountered this with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses at my front door. I was actually my, my seminary roommate's front door. We, we went over, I went over to his house. We were going to study Greek and I had my Greek New Testament on me. And the Jehovah's Witnesses came to the front door and they wanted to talk about John 1.1. 1, 1. In, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And uh, yeah, and, they want, and Jehovah's Witnesses translate that differently. The Word was a God, not the Word was God. And so they were like, and so my, my buddy was like, yeah, bring them in. I like, I like when they come in. And let's talk. He wanted to debate with them. And they're like, sir, actually, in the Greek, it says this. I'm like, oh, guys. You know, I reached into my back pocket. And I'm like, I have the Greek right here. You know, they're like their worst nightmare. They're like, oh, no. I'm like, sorry, I came here to study Greek. You know, the, the New Greek New Testament of all things. I'm like, it just says right here. You know, they want to, they're just, when they're ignorant of something, they assume you're ignorant of something and they're going to be bold about it. That's what these false teachers are doing. They're bold and arrogant and they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Okay, so this next part here. I put down they're spiritually foolhardy and they're careless. So we have two Greek words here for titles. One is called doxas, and doxa means glory. So like the glories is one category. And the second one is angeloi or angeloi. Mm, gee, I wonder what he's talking about. Angels. Okay, so we have like this first group, the doxas, the, one of these celestial kind of things. And then you've got angels. And so... Doxus is what's happening here. So he's talking about they're heaping abuse on that group. And that group is not the angels. So we're left to wonder who in the world is he talking about? And we already know that we, we, we got an idea from the New Testament that Satan has his own angels. And that they were... The, the New Testament called them demons. The Gospels called them demon. Demon-possessed man. They possess, etc. And so, what would, it, what would it sound like to heap abuse upon these guys? It would kind of look like this. You guys are heretics. You're preaching something that's outside the Bible. And I'm just going to tell you, um, watch out because Satan wants to divide. And he most likely is sending his demons to... I mean, influence you and, I mean, what you're doing in dividing the church, my, my, my friend, is you're doing what Satan does. Satan? Oh, we got him. Don't worry. Are you serious? I've got the special knowledge. You forget this. He's nothing. I know you, you're worried about him. You see, in 1 Peter, Peter was like, hold on. You've got to be careful. He's prowling around like a lion seeking to devour so these people who are being careless with demons, these celestial doxas, these non-angels that have some kind of something about them, they're just playing them off. Demons, Satan, what are you talking about? Bring up Satan in conversation with your friends today. Half of them will go, we have Satan here, the devil made me do it. The other half will be like, what are you talking about? That's what we got here. This idea of they're playing fast and loose with the spiritual world. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, they learned that in front of Peter. They brought the money. And like, is this all that was brought? Oh, yeah, we sold the property. Here it is. Why has Satan caused you to lie to me, to lie to the Holy Spirit? 
and he fell down dead. I mean, these are people who just look at the spiritual world and say, like, yeah, we got this. They're nothing. They're nothing. They're heaping abuse on these celestial beings. And yet even, so now we get to the other category, angels, who are stronger and more powerful than these demons, as it were. They don't do that kind of thing. God takes Satan seriously. Do you? That's a fair question. Do you take Satan seriously? Do you take his demonic horde seriously? I'm not saying are you quaking in your boots. I mean, no, it's, it, that's not, we're followers of Christ. There's something that's different about us regarding them. But at the same time, we don't walk around saying, I've got the armor of God. I've got the sword of the spirit. We turn into like some kind of on guard and we want to take on Satan. No, I don't see that at all in the armor of God passage. I see stand firm and above all else stand. I don't see go fight. You know, Revelation 12 again. Blessed are those who overcome. They overcame by the, word of the, the, the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Jesus on the cross fought. We don't. So we don't take Satan and his minions for granted like he, Peter's accusing them of doing. So they're being essentially spiritually foolhardy and careless. They're self-deceived. They're instinct-driven. Appetite satisfiers. Yeah, they are creatures of instinct, unreasoning animals born to be caught and destroyed. And they're going to perish one day. Appetite satisfiers. If you live to satisfy your appetites, you're missing the point about being a follower of Jesus. In fact, you probably are not much of a follower of Jesus. I'm not trying to be judgmental. All I know is Jesus said, you want to follow me? You got to deny yourself. Appetite satisfiers, people who are driven by their appetites, their instinct. I've got this gut feeling that God wants me to be healthy and rich and successful and he, he wants me to be happy, right? If that's what's driving you, you're not denying yourself. There's a lot of self ideas like self-love, self-forgiveness that are just not biblical. And we want to do these things. We want to be all about the self when that's literally what Jesus tells us we cannot be. If you're going to land on self words and like self-esteem or something like that, when are you supposed to esteem yourself? I mean, really? Um, self-control would be a good self word. I'm just saying. And go, go in that realm. Well... We've had the four D's of heresy, three illustrations of the inevitable judgment, five characteristics of false teachers, self-deceived, instinct-driven, appetite satisfiers. They're overtly, outwardly not like Jesus. Where in the world is that? Well, they, they blaspheme in matters they don't understand. They, um, they have eyes full of adultery. They, they are blots and blemishes. Interesting word choice because we remember like the Passover lamb has to be unblemished. We have this idea of no de defects about them. They, they are just walking blots or blemishes. They are just walking sin. And you're like, yeah, follow me. I know Jesus. Follow me. And I'm just walking around like sin. They're just like walking around as Antichrist. As, as much anti-Jesus as possible. And we're supposed to follow you? You're supposed to replace the Bible as a new kind of faith? Are you serious? No. 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 They are overtly, outwardly not like Jesus. 
If you are, have anybody in your life that is verses 13 to 15, ouch, pray for that person. If that is you, to a degree it used to be me. Repent. The only way I'm standing here today is, is repentance. Repentance. Balaam's, Balaam's their example. This is in Numbers 25. So it's the next chapter from the Balaam donkey thing. Here we go. Nevertheless, um, um, when, when Israel lived in, oh, it's an interesting word, sorry. It's pronounced Shittim, but it's spelled fun. Uh, when Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to, oof, they began to, it's an interesting word choice, Old Testament. They began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These, these invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and the Lord said to Moses, um, yeah, these people must die. I mean, think of Israel in, in like marriage with Moab, or marriage with, with Yahweh, our Lord. And the first opportunity, I mean, I, I once posed this question to people. Imagine if you were on your honeymoon. And your spouse on your honeymoon is walking on the beach. And your spouse sees someone that's attractive to that person. And on your honeymoon, he or she runs off and has a dalliance with that person. On your honeymoon. How would you feel? I mean, seriously? That's what's happening here. The very first opportunity Israel could sin and cheat on God, they do. Moab brought out barbecue and sex. And Israel said, yes, sir. Give me some of those things. And they did. Now we learn in Revelation chapter 2, this is Jesus talking. He linked all that to Balaam. Who taught Balak to, to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Jesus looked back at Numbers 25 and said, that was Balaam. So here we have Balaam as an example. These are people, these false teachers, who are enticing Christians to sin, to be destroyed, to be divided, drug away. Balaam is their example. We get the idea here. Yeah, Peter went to the donkey part, but the whole Balaam story is right there. That's chapter 24 of Numbers, and I read from 25. And Jesus, I, I know that's appropriate because in Revelation 2, that's where Jesus went. I just read that to you. He's talking to, I believe, the church at Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2. So, the five characteristics of false teachers, they are bold and they are arrogant. They are spiritually foolhardy and careless. They are self-deceived, instinct-driven, appetite satisfiers. They are overtly, outwardly not like Jesus. And Balaam's our example? Man, that's like reading the book of Judges and saying, boy, Samson's my example. Oh, gosh, No. No, no. So if anything stood out within you as we read these verses, as I explained these verses, if anything stood out within you, repent, confess. Have a really good prayer time tonight. Say, God, um, yeah, that was read, and that's, that, that's kind of me. I am outwardly that way. I hide it, but I'm there. I'm a, a, an appetite pleaser. I want to please myself, and I want to live to please myself. And that's me, and I'm like, more like those people than I care to admit. Okay, all right, admit it, but now move forward. Confession and repentance. 
And then as, as, as John the Baptist says in Luke chapter 3, now produce fruit in keeping with that repentance. That repentance should produce fruit on the branches of a tree that is your life. And that fruit may look like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Most likely self-control. Just saying. The fatal slavery of self-corruption, 17 to 22. These people are springs without water. Ouch. They are mist driven by a storm. The idea that, boy, I'm really parched. I'm really thirsty. Hey, look, there's some weather. I see clouds. Look at that, but it's just fog. Now, in that fog is mist. In that fog is some liquid, but you're not going gulp, 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 gulp when you see fog like you're going to be satisfied with some drink. No. It's a big play thing. It's just fog. It's just, it's just it's like a mirage or something. It's not, you think it's going to give you to quench your thirst, but it's not. It's just really just going to make your windshield messed up. Make your visibility up. It's really all you're going to get. These are springs without water in a world where you needed water. <laughs> And you come across a well, and you're like, yes. And there's no water in that well. What's the point? Yeah, that's where we're going here. These people are springs. He's talking to the false teachers. These people are springs without water. They are mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words and appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. Ooh, dang. That was a shot across the bow right there. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. Wow. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness and to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is, is washed returns to wallowing in the mud. So we have here the fatal slavery of self-corruption. Backpack or backtrack just a little bit. You have a corrupted self and that has you enslaved. And that slavery on its own is fatal. Ouch. He's talking to the false teachers here. These heretics leading the church astray are trying to. What they provide is ultimately worthless, unhelpful. They're like the springs without water. What they're providing to their, their, their congregations, it's like... We have, it's like when Jesus once preached about eating the flesh of the Son of Man and drinking his blood, and all the people, he like preached his congregation from like a thousand to twelve, and he, he talks to Peter, are you, where are you, are you going to leave too? And Peter goes, where can we go? You alone have the words of life. You see, and these false teachers don't have that. They don't have the Holy Spirit using the word. They just have themselves and their clever stories. So what they're offering is just worthless ultimately. It's unhelpful. They proclaim freedom while still in chains themselves. When I talk to young men about pornography, I talk about my journey. I talk about what God has done in my life. I cannot offer that to them if I still have handcuffs on me. You know, celebrate recovery. We celebrate the recovery. 
We don't celebrate the sin. It's like I have to have that perspective before any young man is going to listen to me. And that perspective is the way God uses my story for His glory. I'm just saying. You can't proclaim freedom while you're still in change yourself. They are elegant promoters of fluff. Oh, he's pre- he just gives a good speech. Oh, he knows how to talk. Boy, that guy, I listen to him all the time. Boy, that one, he's in that church and he just talks. And boy, he's just like tongue of an angel. He just speaks. And I get the warm fuzzies and I get the little... Oh, it was just wonderful. and it, It's fluff. If all you got is fluff and you're hungering for something and people are just tossing you fluff, it doesn't matter how pretty it is. These people are craving substance. They're worse off denying Jesus. For denying Jesus. Matthew 12. We get this idea of Jesus once talked about a man who had a demon, and he, or a, a, the demon left, and the, he, he cleaned up his house, and, he, and the demon was wandering the wastelands, and, and, he, and, and, and the man had his, kind of, his spiritual house kind of wiped clean, and then he wasn't very diligent, so all of a sudden seven demons came in and found the house nicely ready for them, and they took over. And Jesus is like, what the heck? That's what we got here. These guys are claiming all these things about Jesus, and they're not following it. And it's like, uh, yeah, you're worse off than if you never called, claimed Jesus at all. Like, what's your point? Because now you're leading others astray. Now you're really going to get it. Now you're just like these sinful angels. Okay, so Peter's just like, what is your deal? You, you can't follow that. He's encouraging his flock. Just like in chapter 1, you have the real deal. You have all you need in this faith. You don't need anything else. These other guys, well... See, there's just a great contrast for firmly his firmly established readers. There's a great and terrifying reminder from Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, this is Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. What, Jesus? I just called you Lord. I said, Lord, Lord, you mean I can't go to heaven? Not everyone who... So this is the terrifying thing, Jesus... Maybe the most terrifying thing Jesus ever said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, in your name perform many miracles? There's plenty of pastors out there. There's plenty of people out there that use the name of Jesus all the time. In the name of Jesus, I want a Lamborghini. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim you're going to be healed. In the name of Jesus, I'm going to proclaim this. I'm going to stand on this. And they'll use the name of Jesus like it's currency. Jesus talking about, you're doing all these things in my name. And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Ouch. Away from me, you evildoers. So that's the idea we get here. These people are claiming all these things. They're claiming to be these great spiritual dynamos. And Peter's not having any of it. He's like, you know what you're doing to Jesus' name? You'd be better off if you never even met Jesus. If you never had anything to do with Jesus. Because at least then you'd be ignorant. Here? What are you doing? The fatal slavery of self-corruption. A dog returns to his vomit. A sow that is washed returns to wallowing in the mud. 
I found a quote here I want to close with. It's on your page here. The purpose of life is not to find your freedom, but to find your master. This is P.T. Forsyth. I don't know if that's a very spiritual statement at all. We do kind of have the idea here. Um, they're, they're, the people are slaves to whatever is mastered them. Verse 19. What is your master? Who is your master? I just want to find my freedom. How about you figure out what, you, what you're enslaved to first? If you haven't figured out you're enslaved to yourself and to your passions and to the things inside of you that are making war, those corrupt desires, if you haven't figured that out yet, let's not talk about freedom. Because until you figure that out, you will have no need for the gospel. You know the gospel ABCs, A is to admit you're a sinner. You won't ever be there because you're still, your master is, you haven't figured out your master is your sin. You're enslaved to that sin. Now when we turn to Jesus, we have a new master, don't we? But we're not seeking freedom, we're seeking our master and he provides us freedom. Until then, we realize that we're master to our sin. All I bring to salvation, by the way, and that's your story too, all I bring to salvation is a sin that's got to be dealt with. That's it. I don't control Jesus saving me one bit. It's his choice, it's his calling, all I do is bring the sin. That's all I can do. If I can't admit that I'm a sinner, I am not. That's the bad news. And the bad news is I'm toast. I'm crispy critters. Because of that sin, I deserve death. The wages of sin is death. Until I get there, I'll never understand my need for a Savior. The purpose of life is not to find your freedom, but to find your master. Okay. Interesting chapter tonight. This is my big rev for Masterclass Theology. 2 Peter chapter 2. God bless. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.